1: Hey, good morning. Welcome into another edition of Fantasy Sports today, Craig Mish, along with Joe Ranieri, with you here on the show. Lots to discuss on the program as we get ready to close out the month of April. Just a couple of days left, and we get into May and June, and the closer we get. It does look like a lot of sports are coming back. Joe, have you made your tee time yet to play any golf? Have you set that up yet? Have you had a
2: minute? It was sold out, believe it or not. Went to try to get a tee time in the morning, and they were all booked already. So, yeah, that's uh, apparently I wasn't the only one waiting to go back on the golf course.
1: Yeah, very unsurprising there. Um, Yeah, that's the way it goes. Um, So so the latest uh, yesterday, really interestingly enough, and we're you know piecing some of this information together as we go. but the USA today yesterday reported Joe that uh, another baseball plan could potentially be in place for the two thousand and twenty season. and I feel like the more we're talking about this, the more we're getting close to getting going. so uh kind of just reviewing it real quick and then we'll get into it here is uh, spring training is back again mm-hmm. in uh, in June, potentially early June, where in Arizona and Florida they, kind of go through a two to three week spring training where the players are quarantined during that point where no one in the outside world gets to interact with them or anything else. And then at that point, they start a regular season of the same 30 teams, but instead of playing in a normal schedule at a normal divisions, they're playing in different parts of the country, three different parts of the country and 10 teams apiece. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit wacky. The divisions are also a little bit, of course, upside down. But the bottom line is, at this point, is that it feels like baseball's getting closer to putting something together for the 2020 season, of which it could be a total of a 100-game season that starts at the end of June and early July. Um, Joe, for both reality and fantasy, this is gonna turn the league's upside down, as we talked about with Howard Bender yesterday. It's amazing that anybody would have any flack about not doing a draft again based on <laughs> everything that I'm telling you now. If this ends up playing out, how could you not? Yep. Uh, but that's kind of the latest here. And so your thoughts on three teams, I'm sorry, 30 teams, three divisions, right. and at least three different locations.
2: Next total sense. Uh, I mean, given what we know with the state of affairs as we're heading into May 1st, um, I, I think that plan is always made the most sense, where you could have at least three locations to split up the teams, and kind of that's kind of going to be the way. Now, again, as things get better, things may change, and who knows? But if you're going to tell me at the very least, we've got 100 games of baseball this year, uh, but throw out everything you need to know about the the old way of doing things, and and kind of realign it. I'm alright with realignment. I'm alright with 100 games. Just go ahead and. Uh, Keep everybody safe and and let's get back on the field and let's get some sports rolling.
1: And I I think that it would be the first sign that sports Mm is, you know, sort of getting back to normal. And I guess uh, as part of the report, at least initially when the games are played, wherever they are played, and there wasn't really too much information as far as that goes. And so that I'm sure will come out in the following days. And again, some of these are just ideas. But hypothetically, if the season was to start late June or July, it looks like, Joe, the first month would be without fans. But they're not ruling out the possibility of of August and September of having fans back and maybe even the teams going back to their ballparks where they're supposed to have games. So it's a little crazy. It's a little wacky. But the bottom line is this. The Major League Baseball uh, Association and the owners want to play a season. Yeah. <laughs> so at the very least, it does seem to make a lot of sense in a week or two weeks. Call it two weeks from now. Right to get together and say, we're having a spring training, okay? We're quarantining, and everybody needs to go to their sites to have their spring training. We're going to do it for three weeks, and as long as everything is cool for those three weeks and we don't have any major issues, then we're going to play out the season. But you can't play a Major League Baseball season without having these guys ready. I mean, there has to be some kind of training or spring training, and, and I think that is the best litmus test of all, have these guys go to their facilities and see what happens and honestly if it gets sad and it gets bad and there's sickness what was the worst thing that happened you tried you sent everybody back to spring training and then they go back home again there i don't you know obviously barring any kind of serious uh medical disaster there that's not something that anybody wants no. but this would be the way to try to get it back and you have that three-week period to determine if you can go ahead and do it
2: and let's face it, the It's much easier to go and kind of transition into the way things used to be if things continue to get better in a couple of months uh, when you're playing and and when you're set up and when you're in that groove. It's a lot easier to transition and say, okay, Yankees, go home. Yankee Stadium, Mets, go to Shea Stadium. It's a lot easier to do that while the season is underway than as opposed to just, all right, we'll wait a couple more weeks. Hopefully everything will go. Then we'll – you got to get it going. And then if if things work out that well, where we're talking about fans and teams going home, heck of a lot more easy to do it when teams are already involved. So I'm all for it. As soon as you can get back, the better.
1: Have everyone go to spring training. Have the pitchers get there a week early.
2: You can't kick that can down the road anymore.
1: Get get the batters there. Get it settled. Look, I'm not advocating doing anything against the CDC. But at the same, but at the same time, if you really think that you're going to have a regular season, you gotta get the guys practicing first. It has to happen, and yep. then in that three-week period, twenty-one days, eighteen days, halfway through, make the call, decide. Hey, this is it. Like we can do this, or we can't. Oh, is everyone healthy? Is this going okay? Then, then here is the plan for the regular season. Now you can start to put the plan in place. But no one says you have to follow through with it. But getting these guys back to their camps has to be the first step. Remember, spring training ended early. There's still got to be, there was another week of spring trading still to happen before they canceled that. So um, I think that's the first step. Uh, the second step is uh, a story that was reported by me yesterday, Joe. Um, the The amateur draft, the June draft is back on, uh, and it looks like it's going to be on June 10th. And so whether there is Major League Baseball or not, the amateur draft is going to be held. And right now, it'll, it looks like it's going to be either uh, we five rounds previously, I actually first reported 10 rounds a couple of months ago, and I believe that there are a lot of teams that are pushing for 10 rounds and not five. So probably 10 or five. And I think that what this goes to show you, Joe, is that while it's an apples and oranges conversation from one draft to the next mm-hmm. with the NFL and MLB, okay, it's apples and oranges, we know that. The, the NFL draft is a monster, and the MLB draft now over the last few years has really started to capture people's attention. But how do you think the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, was thinking watching that draft go off without a hitch? They got they gotta be thinking to themselves, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. we we'll let's just go through. I mean, we could do it exactly the same way. Yep. Have Rob Manfred at his house somewhere, uh, may, uh, doing the first five or three rounds of the draft, have the rest of them come over digital. You can have the guys from MLB at their houses. And so you know from what i'm told in the conversations that didn't have any you know significant bearing on it but i got to believe that once baseball saw that that could be pulled off there's no doubt that that uh that uh, that the baseball could the the nfl pulled it off that baseball can as well
2: it's just one less worry for these commissioners you know and and whether they admit it or not the idea of public perception matters to them and if you pull one less obstacle out of the way, going listen, the NFL pulled it off. They were revered for it. It worked out. Um, this is okay. We got. We don't have to worry about that aspect of this anymore. We can. We can put something together without the fear of uh, you know blowback here from the social media community telling us what are we out of our mind. So kudos to the NFL and kudos to the rest of the leagues for recognizing what it was for and trying to get back to work because. The conversations are all about getting back to work now in some capacity with the states and everybody else. I think it's time for sports to start uh, putting out those plans as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, with the regular season, Joe and I was looking into this a little bit more. Now, look, you're if they split this up in 30 teams in yeah. in three in three divisions, you understand that that it's going to be a tough road for anybody to try to win in 100 That's games. Absolutely. I get it. But man, they got to really put the Marlins in there with the Yankees and the Phillies, right. and 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 all of these tough teams yeah. in the East.
2: Yeah, come well, on, listen, they'll be better off for it. They'll be better off. The for Braves.
1: It. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, I mean, swear, yeah. I mean, seriously.
2: Yep, yeah, not uh, not good. But you know, listen,
1: can you imagine? Can you imagine doing? And by the way, can you imagine doing uh, a, a, a continuing your fantasy baseball draft? where you don't know where the cities are, the team. I mean, I, I don't it is get any of that. bonkers. I don't. Are the Rockies playing at home? Are they not? Where are the Blue Jays playing? I mean, it is just crazy to me that we could even have this conversation.
2: You should be asking for either your money back or a redraft if you've already got a team sitting out there waiting for you. I, I You know, if, if this comes to fruition, you're out of your mind. The team you drafted...
1: You know, I mean, I'm I'm glad that we're I'm glad that yeah. we're discussing it so openly and first because right. in a month from now this is what everyone is going to talk about. Correct. You're going to have t- twelve teams in the league and eleven of them are going to be screaming, "I want to do the draft over again." Correct. Yep. And can you imagine if you paid, and your commissioner was too soft and didn't? Let me you tell really you no something. Idea. If you're a, if you're a commissioner of a fantasy league, you don't need to listen to one person who's complaining about this. You just tell them, "I'm the commissioner. Yep. The end. We're redoing it." If you don't like it, you're out of the league. I don't care what the teams look like. It's ridiculous. And by the way, any fantasy draft that I've been in, having a shortened season, I would have a huge advantage. Yep. Because I, so far, I haven't had any injuries. I, I No issues whatsoever with everything that's happened, anything. But I would advocate for it. I just don't think it's fair for everybody else. I mean, look, I would love to have some sort of advantage. And I guess if I played in some high-stakes league where I put a grand up, you know, maybe I would consider it. But the right thing to do is to do a restart it really is it's yes. the right thing to
2: do. for and especially for what you just mentioned there you're talking about a realignment of sorts that for 100 games where you were talking about a totally different alignment for 162 games when you were drafting so it's a totally different ball game here
1: yeah no i think so uh, other big other big story that came out late yesterday it feels like everything happens in the late afternoon mm. uh, a report how about this report this was this was kind of crazy that uh, Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, had some sort of power move during the NFL draft. And basically, the report is, and I, and I don't want to state this as fact, but this is sort of opinion, mm-hmm. is that he was sick and tired of all the audibling for Aaron Rodgers. He wants the you know the game to be called his way and he wants the quarterback to be done his way and basically it seems like this is the final year for Rodgers and just there's not going to put up with it anymore in uh, in Green Bay like wow like that i mean i guess it it's probably not completely true cuz it seems just so far fetched that a report like that could be completely accurate but at the same time If you open that sort of door and you move up to draft a quarterback in the first round when you have one of the best five quarterbacks maybe in NFL history on your roster, I mean, these are the kind of stories that are going to come out. We have to speculate and ask the question, what's going to happen with Jordan Love?
2: It's probably the least shocking story of the week here. Uh, The idea that a head coach whose job is tied to winning games uh, wants a 37-year-old headstrong, egotistical lunatic like Aaron Rodgers uh, overstepping uh, every chance he gets. Uh, like, nah, that play sucks. I'll call what I want. I, you know, I don't blame the guy. He's a first-time head coach, obviously, new in the league. And there's only so much, uh, so much of that. And not the way he probably did it all. He let Aaron Rodgers do what he wanted to do last year. And guess what? It, it didn't end up getting you to a Super Bowl. So it got you. ended up getting it blown out. So I don't, I don't, doesn't surprise me at all. It ain't going to get any better as Aaron Rodgers gets older, by the way.
1: Right, uh, and, and we're going to talk to Jamie Eisenberg a little bit later in the show, and we'll do fantasy, but any chance Jordan Love plays at all this year? Dude, I mean, things would have to go. Uh, by the way, in my mind, last year, Green Bay was the most paper, tw- th- what are they, 13-3 and three or something like that? Uh, they were the most paper 13-3 and three team ever. They were out-yarded, basically. They were out-gained by other teams over the season. I mean, I, I don't, and they by by the way, they were pretty good against the spread too. I, I will give them yeah, credit for that a also.
2: Lot go their way, a but
1: but that way. was not a really good football team, and I wonder. Nope. And and by the way, I don't even like Jordan Love that much either. Like I've made that clear on this show too. I I just can't believe that this could come to an end so quickly. <laughs> but they, but Lafleur is supposedly a pretty sharp offensive mind. He must know something that we don't. I guess it goes back to my original question: Do you see Jordan Love playing at all this year? Yeah.
2: The possibility of Aaron Rodgers just a little bit slower opening himself up to maybe an injury or two would not shock me at, uh, in the least bit, especially since that offensive line wasn't great anyway all last right. year. I don't think it's going to be great again this year. And a little bit slower, all of a sudden you're not getting to that spot as quick as you used to. Hey, uh, Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely would not shock me if we had Jordan Love uh, starting a couple of games. Uh, for injury purposes. Otherwise, I, I don't see him playing at all this year.
1: Yeah, no, neither do I. Yeah. Uh, and then the final just quick note here, you know, I know that you were wondering about this and you were really concerned, but the NFL uh, ruled that Tom Brady did not violate any rules Shock. for uh, for going to see his coach and for being in the park when he wasn't supposed to be there. And so I know, Joe, that you've been up very late at night wondering about this. Uh, you and I have been texting nonstop. I okay. hope Brady's going to be okay. I hope he's not going to get in any trouble. Late yesterday, the NFL did rule that uh, he did not com- commit any uh, any problems, any issues. Uh, but uh, I guess the further question is is, is that, is that we is Joe, have you have you ever been inebriated enough to walk in uh, a, the wrong house, uh, somebody I, else's house, like Tom Brady did, totally sober? I guess he I guess he didn't know because he was not in you know the place that he normally is. Yes, but I but I but I still. Find it hard to believe that anybody would just literally walk into somebody's house without them opening the door. Yeah,
2: especially uh, your new, I think it was his Byron Leftwich, right? Your new offensive yes. coordinator. You just walked right in like that, no idea, like didn't knock. Never come. been to the house. What's up, man? What? Oh, oh, sorry. Wrong house. That, that's real comfortable, real quick, isn't it, TB? That's real comfortable, real quick. I, I, I'd I a laughed beyond laughed. I hope they got a couple of autographed uh, memorabilia from them. Uh, Because otherwise- He said,
1: I guess the guy tried to chase him down. But Joe, in your life, in your 40 plus year old life, have you ever gone to a house for the first time and just walked in without without somebody coming to the door?
2: Never, never, never.
1: Like even when I was a kid and even when I was at University of Florida in college and who knows what I was doing at that time. If I'm going to somebody's house for the first time, I'm at least waiting for somebody to yell, come in. Right, like get in. Yeah, I'm here. You know something. You're now right. I will exactly. Now I will say this: that possibility does exist. That maybe Brady texted him and and left, which just said come in. Did not didn't know he's at a different house. And, and if that is if that didn't happen, I I give Tom Brady no excuse for that. You cannot just walk into somebody's house. No,
2: and especially a house you've never been to before. Number one. So there's got to always be a part of you going, I think this is the right house, right? I, I mean, I, I think I got it right. Like, it, So there's always got to be that level of hesitation where, you know what, let me just knock a few times, yell, you know, not just help yourself to, you know, some Ritz crackers while you walk in the door is beyond me. Absolutely beyond
1: me. How'd you know he had Ritz crackers, Joe? I heard. I heard. Joe's got the Low inside salt.
2: scoop. Low sodium Ritz crackers, Low by the sodium. way.
1: Very good. Excellent. Uh, Speaking of no salt, we don't have any on this show. It's all sugar. And coming up next, it's time for us to dive into our fantasy sports birthdays and also this day in fantasy sports. This is fantasy sports today right here on Sports Grid. Craig Mish and Joe Ranieri. And we are back in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away.
0: Welcome
1: back to Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Raneri with you here on the show. Make sure you go to our Twitter handles at Craig Mish at Joe Raneri to find out the latest going on in sports. And here on SportsGrid and on SportsGrid.com, it is April the 29th, 2020. A couple of days before we basically turn over to the month of May, which can't be any worse than the month of April, which basically, essentially, There have been some tough times in this country since we have been alive, Joe, and certainly I don't wanna go back through history among those tough times, but I would say that April of 2020, worst month in a long time, fair to say.
2: Yeah, I would, uh, good riddance uh, sort of thing Get rid of it. Uh, Bye-bye now, (laughs) don't don't come back anytime soon. It's been challenging to say the least, that's for sure.
1: I do do not want to relive the month of April ever again. And I would guess that May is going to be a lot better than April, uh, just with with golf courses opening. Like I, I mean, literally, like any yeah. anything that that would happen. Now, listen, I could be completely wrong. Maybe this is all a big mistake. But yeah, uh, <laughs> and then I'll have to come back. We'll be sitting here in June, and July, and no, and we're gonna August.
2: Bring it up. Yep,
1: it would Great. be a nightmare. All right. So um, anyway, we'll continue on the trend of uh, this day in fantasy sports. So. Let's go ahead and kick it around, Joe, for this day in the past. We'll start off with 1986. This is kind of what put uh, Roger Clemens on the map, I think, a little bit here, Joe, is when he struck out 20 batters against the Mariners. You know, Kerry Wood had that game, uh, I think it was like 10 years later, where where he did uh, 21. But this really was the beginning of of the, his, the nickname Rocket, you know, Roger Clemens. In 86, you know, of course, the Red Sox end up going to the World Series and losing to the New York Mets. But... Clemens had a fantastic career. I think this was sort of his coming out party. I guess that's probably the best way that I could put it.
2: Uh, uh, 86 was the beginning of it it all for a lot of different different reasons there. But, yes, uh, it was also going to be the beginning and end of his uh, Boston Red Sox uh, career, too, when you kind of think about it. Uh,
1: I think he spent a few more years there, but he certainly had a kind of a weak ending. I don't even
2: think most people associate him with the Red Sox anymore.
1: You don't think so? Well, he played with the Red Sox in 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 88 89, on, yeah. 90, 91. Six or, um,
2: six or seven years, there? Six or seven, I think it was, right? I think it was six or seven. And it, then that it was, was
1: Boston, was, Toronto, New York, Houston, Houston, New York. New York,
2: that's right, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's so funny because most people don't even remember that uh, 86 World Series with him and Chiraldi and everybody else. Still yeah, can no. out they lost that.
1: It's true. Yep. Well, a lot of people, Joe, don't remember Bo Jackson as a member with the Buccaneers because that never happened. April 29th, 1986, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can you imagine this happening in this day and age? I, I can't. I can't. That that the first overall pick in the NFL draft would just choose to not play? Are you kidding me? Like, like how did... I, I mean, I went back and I read a few articles on this just for some context on the show, but... The Buccaneers, honestly, Joe, I got to say, they were not intelligent taking Bo Jackson. They should have known going in. And I get it. There's got to be a part of every NFL team that's going to want to force the player to play. But every single sign pointed to Bo Jackson not taking this deal with Tampa, and they still went ahead and did it and just threw the pick away. (laughs) That's crazy. You
2: mean when Bo Jackson actually told them, don't pick me, I'm not playing for you? Maybe that should have been the, uh, the tee off right there. I mean, it's not enough
1: sometimes. I mean, Eli Manning did that, I think, you know, many years ago also, and he wanted to play with the Giants, and they accommodated that. Uh, but – and and I'm not saying that it has to happen with every player, but it was perfectly clear. At the time that Bo came out from Auburn, he was the best athlete in the world. This was kind of pre – before Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan too. And everyone knew that Bo Jackson also had an inkling to play baseball as well. And so it was really easy for him to just say, screw it. And then, of course, the Raiders came in and ended up getting him the following year. But the Buccaneers were the doormats, Joe, of the NFL. This I'm like, we're not talking Bengals doormats. Yep. We're, we're talking, like, since the Bucs came into the league, they just couldn't get out of that rebuild from the 70s. And it was just I, – I can't imagine that if Joe Burrow refused to play for the Bengals – I think Joe Burrow would have been traded to somebody else and somebody would have picked them and he would end up playing for them.
2: You've got to give the context, too. There was a reason why he did not want to play with the bang, uh, with the Tampa Bay Bucks because at the time, uh, they're not the franchise they are today. Thank goodness. They were an absolute mess and he wanted nothing to do with them. So, but he also had a career waiting. He wasn't going to spend any time in the minor leagues. He was going right to Major League Baseball. We all knew that. So it was mind-blowing that they didn't at least trade it away and get something in return.
1: Memphis Chicks, which yeah. where Bo Jackson started off, and then uh, played for the Kansas City Royals. I'll never forget that. All right. Uh, well, yesterday on the show we talked about the Orioles uh, losing twenty-one in a row. Yeah. Well, guess what? The following day, we got to give them some credit. If we're going to throw them under the bus, we got to bring them back for the next day. Uh, their twenty-one game losing streak did come to an end. The following day, yeah. they beat the White Sox nine to nothing. So that ended the misery for the yeah. Orioles that season, where they lost a hundred plus games. Uh, now, this is one that I, I you, you know, honestly, if you would have said, give me the last 20 years of first overall picks in the NFL draft, right? I, I would have forgotten about Mario Williams. I, I, don't, I don't even remember who Mario Williams is, honestly. Like, I, I mean, I remember he played in the NFL. I guess he was pretty good, he but
3: accents, yeah. he, he was
1: the, I, I don't, why do I not remember? Is this like a, a blind spot in my NFL drafting career? I, I don't remember much about Mario Williams. He was in Miami for
2: a few years, too, didn't he? Didn't they bring him here to Miami? i don't think so uh yeah he was hurt a lot early on i remember that he was um clowny before clowny uh that kind of situation there uh he was at the top of that draft there was a couple of years there where was that Eighty two thousand six. 2006 yes there were a couple of years where these these crazy uh defensive uh defensive linemen defensive front guys were really dominating and uh listen he he got better as he got older uh, if that's even possible at that position but early on he was labeled kind of a bust because he he did have a lot of injuries but uh he was pretty good there at the end he played a couple of years i believe here in miami with the dolphins wasn't that bad
1: did he really i don't don't remember at all
2: i could have swore he was traded a whole bunch of times it didn't work out in houston all that well but he was uh he was pretty decent towards the end there
1: this is this is like a blind spot in my NFL career because I don't remember it. Um, 2006,
2: you don't remember him coming out and uh, and marrying okay.
1: Williams? No, I, I don't remember this at all. So uh, he played with Houston from 2006 to 2011. Right. He, he played with Buffalo from 2012. Oh,
2: Buffalo, yes.
1: 2015 and then it looks like he played 5 games with the dolphins just at the very end. That's so very, you you were you, you you I'll give you credit for that although yeah. I don't remember I don't remember that part I, of that. I
2: remember well. but he, him and he was actually pretty good a pretty good one of those pretty good with uh, Buffalo, Buffalo I defenses. Think he was yes, yes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Buffalo makes more sense wow, for that's sure. That's crazy. All right, and then our final uh this day in history is uh this was not that long ago actually. Uh, 2 years ago LeBron James broke Scottie Pippen's NBA playoff steals record with uh, 396. And so with all the games that LeBron plays in the playoffs, he goes ahead of Scottie Pippen. Remember those two years that Michael Jordan didn't play. Scottie Pippen was still going back to the playoffs with the Mm -hmm. Chicago Bulls. So this uh, does make some sense here. And, of course, uh, just thought that was pretty neat to mention. All right, so, uh, Joe, those are the things that happened this day, April 29th in our sports history are you ready to dive into some birthdays yeah, for today wait to see what we got on top here today who'd you pull off all right so we got uh we're gonna start off with if it's a baseball hall of famer i try to include them here and probably not a lot of people know who Luis aparicio is and you know it's look he was born a long time ago and was known as the best defensive shortstop in the history of the league until ozzy smith came along but uh, louis aparicio uh, White Sox Hall of Famer, born in 1934. Uh, Dale Earnhardt, 1951, was born and, of course, died in that tragic accident. That, that's one of those things, uh, Joe, that when it happened, it was a huge story in sports. Like, I remember where I was at the time. I remember the coverage yeah. of his death at the time, talking about the kind of seats and it wasn't protected and you know, this Hans devices, I'll never forget going back to that, like the amount of coverage that that got because of the person that Dale Earnhardt was, and of course, his son went to uh, have a great career as well. I've never been really big into NASCAR, Joe, but Earnhardt's name is clearly one of the best of all time.
2: he was you know he was a cool cucumber too. I remember that race also like it was yesterday because i I remember watching it and going, "Ah wow, well, you know he was he was close in that race too, and then all of a sudden at the end it was like ah be, I mean, it looked." It
1: didn't look that like bad.
2: Nothing. It looked like we'd seen a million worse crashes than that. Yeah. And then next thing you know, he's dead. They're pulling him out of the car. Like, what? What? What just happened here? It was mind blowing for everybody involved.
1: Yeah. No, I, I'll. I remember I was working at a TV station at the time, and we did like three straight days oh, on, yeah. on on coverage of that. And not just that, but like going down to Homestead and mm-hmm. talking to people about the cars and the kind of devices that the and and now there's going to be more safety and yep. uh, Yeah, like that was a wild one. And of course, Dale Earnhardt Jr. went on to have a great career as well. Uh, Okay, uh, 1965, we go to Reggie Miller. This is uh, Joe's favorite player in the history of the NBA. He asked specifically if we could uh, bring him up here on the show. Reggie Miller, very good broadcaster, great player, of course, for a long time in the NBA and uh, and also one of the longest tenured players in the history of one team in the NBA. We're going to get into that subject a little bit later. Are you a fan of Reggie Miller, Joe, or do you hate him like every other Knicks fan? Uh,
2: he was an assassin, nothing not to like about him, man. The guy came to play, and ever since he told uh, Spike Lee to sit down over there, I thought that was pretty uh, – they had some epic battles, man. The, those Pacers in those days, between the Knicks, the Pacers, and Jordan, it was – um it, it was good people don't realize how good a i agree basketball player he was that he was an assassin reggie miller he wanted to take over a game he took it over i don't care who you are, were, you weren't stopping him
1: there was that one game where they were down like four with five seconds left or something like that he hits the three gets it back
2: right. <laughs> it was ridiculous <laughs> like, yeah. Come on. and he was laughing at spike lee the whole time it was great it was great yeah. yeah
1: 1970 andre agassi was born it's like agassi week here on the show second time we brought him up this yeah. week that's oh my. old oldest to to uh, to be number one, and now his uh, his birthday is today. Uh, back back in 1970, and so happy birthday to Andre Agassi. Wow, Jay Cutler, a, a double day of Jay Cutler too. Wow, this is but so a, an unfortunate week for Jay Cutler as he's going through some marital issues, and uh, no no birthday present here from the wife, I guess, for yeah. for Jay Cutler. Joe, Chris, and Cavallari, and Jay Cutler uh, reportedly getting a divorce. And why do we bring that up on this show? It seems like that's not something we should bring up. But I guess if if you're going to put yourself on reality TV, Joe, all bets are off. Like, you're, you're fair game, I think, at that point. That's the way I see it. If you're going to do a reality show and you're going to show everything about your life, I think it allows us the opportunity to do that. Now, on the flip side, if someone is going through a divorce in the NFL or major League Baseball, it's like not even a topic for us to discuss because it's a personal life thing. But if you put your personal life on TV, I think I, I mean, I think that allows us fair game to be able to talk about it,
2: which is why I don't even buy any of it because most of what these people do is for attention and headlines. And do not be surprised if in a couple of months they work it back out and we got ourselves a new TV deal. Uh, uh, don't put it past them,
1: yeah. by the way, how do you get? divorced after spending three weeks with your significant other in the bahamas like you gotta have some serious problems if that's indeed because i'll tell you that i could spend three weeks in the bahamas anytime you want and become back very very happy
2: all part of the master reality television plan we'll come back we'll get a new season we'll get renewed think about all the people that'll come and watch it i don't buy any of it you live your life in front of a camera like that, and uh, for the whole of the world to see, there is nothing authentic about anything
1: about you. Zero. It made me sad. That much sad. Too. All right, and uh, and finally, Ooh, we that. go with uh, Scott Kingery from 1994. Scott Kingery may not be a household name to a lot of people, but he's on the Philadelphia Phillies and with the baseball news coming out yesterday about these realigned divisions. I thought that maybe we would actually do a little baseball talk on the show today, Joe. So, um, so there you have it. So, uh, you know, Scott Kingery, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Scott. We're going to spend a little bit of time on you. Uh, Look at, look at the transformation, Joe, from 2018 to 2019. Doubled in home runs, almost doubled in runs driven in. OPS almost up 200. Batting average up about 30. And, and I think, you know, really, the reason why Philadelphia decided to move Michael Franco or let him go to Kansas City is essentially that Kingery is going to be the everyday uh, infielder for uh, for for Philadelphia. And by and by the way, if you look at all the positions that he played last year, he played a number of games at different positions. He played sixty-nine games in the outfield, 30, uh, 41 games at third base, yep. eighteen games at shortstop, and then ten games at second base. And he can hit home runs. He can steal bases, he can drive in runs, and when or if there is a fantasy baseball season and they play a full 162, there's a chance that Kingery could do what he did in the minors, which is hit 30 home runs and steal 30 bases. But Joe, I think what happened in his first year, he never really felt comfortable with playing that sort of super utility role. Right. And last year, he came into it a little bit more. I can only imagine that a player is going to be a lot more comfortable knowing exactly where they're going to play every day. And this year, it's going to be third base for Scott King.
2: Yeah, that OPS is pretty telling there, telling you exactly, uh, you know, 30 points in your batting average, going up a, uh, you know, almost 200 points in your OPS, putting the bat on the ball, seeing it better, a little more comfortable. And that's all about getting in a groove. It's not easy as a utility player. It's not easy at all, especially a new kid like that.
1: Yeah, got a long-term deal before he ever played a major league game, but um, I really like Kingery a lot, and yep. I think he's had the chance to succeed, steal some bases for sure this year.
2: Two fifty-eight batting average, though, dude. Stop striking out.
1: Everybody strikes out, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that's, no, nobody cares about anything except for hitting a home run or taking a walk. That's you know pretty pretty much the story at yep. this point. You know, it's in, it's interesting. We talked about some of this, uh, this some of this realignment, Joe, of the different divisions. Is there any city? that you think that can't host Major League Baseball games in the month of June? I mean, the only one that really comes to mind is New York. Oh, is East there Coast,
2: any? West Coast, right? Dodgers,
1: LA is probably not going to let anybody in. Um, so where would LA play their games? So the Angels and Dodgers would play their games in Arizona? Have
2: I to, yeah. I'm thinking the West Coast teams will stay in Arizona, and then uh, you'll divvy up the Midwest teams and the East the Texas. Coast teams. Yeah. Te- Texas is ready to go, so I could see that absolutely. And then you got a dome situation there too, so you got all three. All three locations would probably be all indoor parks, I think, with Miami and Tampa and
1: Arizona's the worst spot of all, though, because they only have the one dome, if I'm that's not mistaken. It, yes. right. But yes. Texas, you could Texas, right. you could put half of them in Houston.
2: Yes, and, and sure. half
1: of them in Texas. Yep.
2: Yeah, and, and they're it- all domes, so I mean, at least that's halfway to. But that's not how many. Right. Uh, how many West Coast teams are we looking at? Two, four, ten. ten, Yeah, so they'd all, yeah, you just rotate them in there.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, that doesn't, two
2: games a day, you know, at least somewhere in that. I mean, mean, the
1: Texas plan makes some sense because, yeah, because you have 10 teams in two places. In Florida, you have Miami and you have the Rays. But in Arizona, you only have the one, the one dome. So maybe they would actually play in the spring training facility.
2: They got, they got a whole lot of them all in that close uh, vicinity. Yeah, so. maybe that's yep. all right. Those all right, have we'll to be back day games. Or night yeah.
1: games rather. Uh, yeah, guys, night games, please. Mm. Yeah, we'll be back with more fantasy sports
0: today. Jamie Eisenberg joins us
3: next.
0: DailyRoto. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice.
1: And welcome back to Fantasy Sports today, Craig Bish along with Joe Ranieri, as we continue some of our discussion about the 2020 NFL Draft from a fantasy perspective. And we bring in Jamie Eisenberg of CBS Sports, and of course, CBS Fantasy, CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Eisenberg. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the show, and it's good to see you and talk to you. How are you?
3: Good to see you and talk to you as well. Uh, I'm doing well. Hope you guys are doing okay. Staying safe, being smart, and uh, hopefully uh, we we get a, uh, a fun football season after a fun draft.
1: Yeah, hopefully so. It was a really exciting draft. I know a lot of people watched. I was watching uh, the first two days, uh, for, you know, Thursday and Friday. I was completely locked in, and then Saturday came, and it was a little bit in and out there. But um, I'd love to just kind of, first of all, get an overall thought from your perspective on the fantasy side of this thing. Uh, the way that I've kind of described it, at least from my view, Jamie, is that it seems like it's really deep. Like there are going to be a lot of rookies drafted this year. I'm just not so sure how high they will be drafted. That was my view. I'd love yours.
3: Well, I, I think it's it's interesting, you know, depending on if you're talking seasonal redraft leagues or, or dynasty leagues, because there's some guys that ended up in some great spots that could be fantastic for 2021 and beyond. But I think when you're talking 2020, you're right. It's a deep class. I don't know if we're going to get, you know, uh, a consistent range of the rookies. You know, I think we'll see, you know, guys like Clyde edwards helaire Jonathan Taylor, uh, maybe, you know, DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers, you know, going in the first five rounds, potentially. Uh, the receivers didn't exactly land in spots where they're going to, I think, have the chance to be highlight-type players, um, consistent fantasy producers right from the get-go in year one, but that always takes time with wide receivers anyway. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a deep class. There's a ton of talent. They just didn't end up in some of the more favorable spots across the board.
1: Yeah, and, and I would ask your opinion on that in terms of favorable because uh, on Johnson on Detroit, now he's got to compete with DeAndre Swift, of course. But when On Johnson's on the field, he's pretty good. And in Indianapolis, I can make the case that over the last couple of years, when Marlon Mack has been on the field, the Colts have been a really dynamic team. And, of course, he's had some injury history as well. Is it as that simple as those players are going to have to beat out the incumbents in order to get playing time in 2020? Because those two players that I mentioned not too long ago were pretty much RB2s at the lowest, fantasy starters.
3: Uh, absolutely, uh, you know Mac. I think a little bit safer than carry on. Carry on probably a higher ceiling than Mac when things were going well. But I think the teams kind of told you what they're thinking. You know, both teams traded up to get those guys. Uh, you, you know, in, or or at least in the in Apple's Colts case, um, you know, and Swift was was a high pick in the second round. So they kind of tell you that they're not thrilled with the guys there. Now in Detroit's case, Carry on Johnson, like you said, when he's played, he's been good, but he's been help, uh, hurt each of the last two seasons. So they needed to add depth. They found a chance to get one of the more talented players coming into this draft, one of the more talented running backs for sure. And so Swift, I think, makes some sense for them. For Mack, you know, he's a two-down player. They just don't use him on third downs. I think Taylor can be a three-down guy, but they do have Naheem Hines there. But he's going to be a free agent after this season. So I think it's going to be a situation in both cases where talent's going to win out. I think Swift is better than Johnson. I think also Jonathan Taylor is much better than Marlon Mack. And I think you'll see by the end of the season, similar to what we saw like in Philadelphia last year, where Miles Sanders by the end of the season was just awesome. I think those are going to be the best running backs, the rookies for those teams.
2: Jamie, is there going to be a, uh, shall we say, a fantasy stud that maybe didn't equate to where they were drafted uh, in a year from today?
3: I think a year from today, J.K. Dobbins is going to be a monster. You know, you, you end up with the situation in Baltimore. Mark Ingram's going to be 31 by the end of the year. He's been awesome. They love him. Obviously, he fits their culture. You know, big trust, all those things that they go about saying. And... Um, I went back and listened to an interview with Mark Ingram from Radio Row in the Super Bowl, and he was just talking about, you know, how they needed to add playmakers. I don't think he wanted to see another running back come in, but this is an indication that they're not thrilled with Gus Edwards and Justice still for now. But I think J.K. Dobbins by 2021 could be a guy that's going to be awesome. So this is what I was talking about. When you get to these rookie-only drafts, dynasty formats, Dobbins is going to go ahead of guys like Swift and Akers for sure. He should be the third running back off the board because I think next year he could be an absolute stud.
1: All right, so the other two running backs that I think that we have to talk about for sure is, of course, Cam Akers. There's no doubt that he's going to factor in somewhat in what the Rams are doing for sure. And then also Vaughn on Tampa Bay. I can't really figure out what Tampa Bay is doing, honestly, with Jamie. I mean, it's a lot of guys that they drafted a couple of years ago they've just completely fallen out of favor for, and Ronald Jones and O.J. Howard. But you know, certainly this is the direction that Bruce Arians is going. Uh, Between Akers and Vaughn, who holds more fantasy potential for this year?
3: Right now, I'm going to go Acres just because I think there's a clearer path for him to get touches. I do think that Ronald Jones could be a guy that's an annoyance to Vaughn on first and second down, but I do think Vaughn will eventually be the third down guy and then push Ronald Jones off the field. But I just look at Daryl Henderson. He can't stay healthy and he didn't exactly impress anybody last year. Malcolm Brown, to me, is just a guy. I think Cam Akers is a special talent. And this is hard for me to say, Craig. You know I'm a Florida Gator, so to talk about a Seminole is a little bit challenging. But, you know, what he had to overcome last year at Florida State with a bad quarterback, with bad offensive line play, and still put up tremendous stats, averaged over five yards per carry. Uh, he's a, a dual threat. He can catch the ball in the backfield. You know, once upon a time, played some quarterback. So I think Sean McVay going to have fun with him, and I think he'll be the best running back for the Rams. So I would take him over Vaughn. It's close. But Vaughn, I think, is going to be the best running back in Tampa Bay also. He's a better pass blocker already than Ronald Jones. He's probably a better pass catcher, and that's going to be the thing that matters. you got to make sure Tom Brady is safe. you got to make sure he's going to not take extra hits. That doesn't necessarily have to happen. And so I think Vaughn, as we've seen, Ronald Jones just doesn't fall in favor with Bruce Arians. I think Arians is done with Ronald Jones, and so Vaughn will be on the field quickly.
2: So Craig's not all that happy with Jerry Judy at Denver. Uh, Not a big believer in luck, but who do you think is going to have the best fantasy season among the wide receivers who were taken in this year's draft?
3: I've gone back and forth between, you know, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. I do think J- Judy's path to targets is a little bit easier because while Cortland Sutton is good, he doesn't have the same pedigree that Judy has. Judy can automatically step in and become the number one receiver there. Remember, even though Sutton's been on the team, it's a new offensive coordinator, and Locke only started the last five games last season. So it's not like there's a history between Locke and, and Sutton that's going to go beyond what Judy can sort of step in and overcome. So I think Judy could be the better of the two, but you look at the quarterback situation for Dallas, I know everybody sees Amari Cooper and, and Michael Gallup, and that's going to be hard for C.D. Lamb to overcome that. But they lost almost 170 targets with Jason Witten and Randall Cobb walking out the door. So there's an opportunity there for Lamb to still be successful as the number three guy. So I'll take Lamb slightly ahead of Judy, but I go back and forth on those two guys. Yeah, I,
1: I like Lamb a lot. And I think that, you know, he'll. I, I had him ranked as my number one fantasy guy as far as rookies going into the season. But a close second to me was the one that during the draft I texted you, or maybe it was before the draft, I don't recall. Maybe I think it was before. Uh, Jalen Rieger uh, of TCU, to me, is has a chance to be like Steve Smith was with Carolina. Um, look, the quarterbacking situation, they have, of course, Wentz there. But you, you talk about a wide receiver that regardless of the talent, Jamie, is walking into a spot where he could very well be the number one wide receiver going into the 2020 season with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I love the spot and I love the player. So maybe I should have him ranked as my number one rookie wide receiver going into the year. And,
3: and and you absolutely can. My colleague Dave Richard has Rager as his top receiver, you know, and I understand it. You know, it's the situation that we were clamoring for. You know, we were kind of hoping to see Judy or Lamb end up in Philadelphia if they could have, you know, swung a trade to move up. But uh, Rager's got a ton of talent. You know, I think you look at what he did at TCU, bad quarterback play probably hindered him a little bit. The one concern I have is They're still going to be tight end heavy, as we know, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. They're going to throw to their backs, obviously. But what is this wide receiver core going to look like? If it's Jeffrey gone, Deshaun Jackson still can't stay on the field, only played one healthy game last year. Uh, You know about Greg Ward, JJ Arcega, Whiteside. Those guys aren't going to be a factor because they just didn't prove anything last year. Ward was good at the end of the season, but he's not necessarily a true go-to wide receiver. They added some other guys in the draft as well. So Rager could automatically step in and be the number one option there. But if Jeffrey's back and Jackson's there, I think that just sort of lowers the ceiling a little bit. So I'm going to lean toward talent. I think Judy and Lamb are better talents. So I'll take those guys over Rager. But if Rager has no Alshon Jeffrey, he's going to elevate up my draft board pretty quickly and pretty highly.
1: Yeah, I I think so. Um, Okay, so now the most intriguing part of really, in terms of offense of the draft, is what the Raiders did. And I know over at CBS Sports, you had a chance to speak to Darren Waller, their great tight end, who was coming off a fantastic year last year. I still think even after the draft, Waller's probably their number one receiving target because I'm not sure that Ruggs is that guy. But meanwhile, there's so many other questions, Jamie, that I have. Like, I mean, is Lynn Bowden going to play quarterback at all for the Raiders? Like, I, I mean, I don't, I'm do not i not really sure what they did. It almost seems like the Raiders of the 80s and the 90s, what they did, just getting all kinds of speed and talent. So I know Al Davis has passed away, but certainly he had his imprint, I thought, on that draft.
3: It, it sure felt like it. Look, I i think you look at Ruggs, um, uh, the comparison that I think a lot of people will make favorably is, is Tyreek Hill. You know, the, the negative will be, is he John Ross or Darius Hayward Bay, you know, guys that have been drafted for speed and, and didn't pan out. But, uh, rugs is a tough kid. You know, he could do different things. People just look at him as a guy that can run downfield. That's not the case. You obviously did not watch what he did at Alabama or what he's capable of doing. So he's got a ton of speed, but he's a guy that can you know run every route. And I think be very successful. I think you're right, though. Waller still projects as the number one guy, but there's no, certainly more mouths to feed because Brian Edwards is a good prospect coming into the league from South Carolina. Like you said, Lyndon Bowden, is he going to play running back? Is he going to play wide receiver? Is he going to play some quarterback? You heard John Gruden say he wants to have a little bit more mobility at that position, adding Marcus Mariota speaks to that as well. But I think you look at also Hunter Renfro and Tyrell Williams. They're part of this roster and probably still going to play quite a bit. But you know, Waller was head and shoulders. A lot of it had to do with you know Renfro and Williams missing time, but you know, dominated targets. I think he's still going to be the target leader. Derek Carr is not a guy that's going to throw downfield a lot. He'll throw downfield successfully. His completion percentage downfield uh, better than a lot of people think. But he's going to make those short area throws. That's what he likes to do. Get the ball out quick. Try to avoid making mistakes. Avoid taking sacks. So I still think Waller's got top five potential at the tight end position. But Rugs to me right now is the third rookie wide receiver. I take him behind Lamb and Judy. Still a smidge ahead of Rager. But like I said, I can see myself moving Rager ahead of those guys
2: so I'll do it. I'm the Jet fan here of the crew. Talk to me. We all have had our fill of Adam Gase here, so obviously now I have to continue following him. But what do you think? Mims there to the Jets on the second year in Adam Gase's offense. Do you like the weapon? Do you like the kid uh, heading to New York uh, for Sam Darnold?
3: I love it. You know, uh, we, we were talking leading up to the draft. You know, I was at the combine, and you looked at all the talent at the wide receiver position position. Uh, 37 wide receivers were drafted in this in this draft 15% of the of the uh, NFL draft was wide receiver and we were saying okay the teams that need offensive line help in the first round can go out and get an offensive lineman and a pretty good one and then still come back in the second round and get a great wide receiver and the Jets nailed that I think they got stud potential with Becton and then stud potential with Mims I was really shocked to see Mims go to round two and fall almost to pick 60 so you look at what he's capable of doing He's still a little bit raw coming out of Baylor but there's so many targets available and such a big opportunity and we look at donald and yes he didn't have the greatest second year last year but how healthy was he you know coming off the mono situation did he ever get back to full strength do we know that does he know that i don't think that's something we have to see and see how he can sort of take this second opportunity in an adam gay system and can he be successful i like jameson crowder i think he's a very good possession receiver rashad perryman don't look at what he did at the end of last year it's not the same offense he's not going to put up those eye-popping numbers but getting chris Herndon back i think is going to be successful for this jets offense as well i think we'll see a better team just because the offensive line will be better So I'm excited about Mims. He's not my favorite rookie wide receiver, as we've talked about. But once you get past that first tier of guys, he's in the same conversation with guys like Michael Pittman, with the Colts, T. Higgins, if you're looking long-term, with the Bengals, LaVishka Chenault, with the Jaguars, another guy that's got a lot of opportunity. And I think Mims, back end of round one of a rookie-only draft, early part of round two, it's a perfect spot to get somebody like him.
1: Before we get to the tight ends, is there a receiver? Because I feel like it was deeper, that running back. Is there a receiver, Jamie, Claypool, Pittman, someone else that was taken round two, three, four, five, that maybe you like the spot more than some of your colleagues or or other people in fantasy?
3: You know, I was talking up Antonio Gandy-Golden before the draft, the receiver from Liberty, 6'4", 220 pounds. He put up back-to-back 70 catches, 1,000 yards, and 10 total touchdowns each season at a small school and he ended up in Washington where there's really not a lot of talent. You got Terry McLaurin, and that's basically it. I like Steve Sims. I think we could see maybe something from Kelvin Harmon. But I think Gandy Golden's got a chance to be successful right away just because they need help. No tight end to speak of right now. So I love trying to get him. I'll reach for him in round three of a rookie-only draft. I'll take him with a late-round pick in a seasonal league. But I think he's got the upside to be a starter right away. And I love the fit for him in Washington.
1: Yeah, I got a couple of first-round picks in my dynasty drafts. I'll hit up Jamie right before that so I don't make the same mistake of taking Isabella like I did last year. All right, uh, so I want to save quarterback for last because I think that this conversation is going to be really quick. And maybe I just didn't do enough research going in, but the tight end draft in fantasy for 2020 from the rookies, Jamie, looks like a complete zero to me. How did this happen?
3: I just think it's not a talented group right now. You know, uh, the one that intrigues me the most is a guy that actually didn't get drafted. I'll go back to Washington. Thaddeus Moss being signed as an undrafted rookie free agent, going to the Redskins. Again, they they lose Jordan Reed, they lose Vernon Davis. Um, you know, he's not the same player like his father, obviously. But he uh, he had a couple touchdowns in the national championship game. Comes from that program at LSU where they just put up eye popping numbers. It was surprising that he didn't get drafted. You know, he's not the biggest tight end, but uh, there's an opportunity there, and I think that's what you look for. So. Um, you're not going to draft any of these guys. Cole Clement could be really good next year once the Bears figure things out and move on from Jimmy Graham. That was a weird signing to begin with. Yeah. You know, uh, I, it's just not a, uh, an overwhelming group. But, you know, I think the fact that the Saints got one to replace Jared Cook could be good at some point. Like I said, Clement, Kemet uh, for, the, for the Bears could be good at some point. But Thaddeus Moss is the one I'm going to keep an eye on just to see if he can make the roster and then see if he can actually get a chance for playing time.
1: Yeah, Patriots have two tight ends, although I hadn't really heard about much of them uh, going into the draft. Okay, so... Uh, quarterbacking outside of Burrow feels like more of a dynasty conversation. But if I had to sort of throw some starting numbers at you from a fantasy position in 2020, uh, my guess would be is that Burrow would start game one and barring injuries start all the way through. My guess would be Herbert, uh, you know, some point in the midway season mark, if the Chargers aren't doing well or if Taylor is struggling. And, And, Jamie, I don't see Tua playing at all. Uh, maybe maybe he's on the lock schedule where he plays like two or three games at the end of the year, but I really don't even see that. And then beyond that, I don't think any of the quarterbacks are slated to play at all. Do you see it that way, or or switch it up for me if you don't?
3: I could see Tua playing if he's healthy and the Dolphins, you know, are not in playoff contention, which is what we expect the Dolphins not to be in playoff contention. Just because if he's healthy, you want to see if the investment you made is going to be worth it while they're still trying to build around this young team. So. Uh, I would actually expect Tua to play probably before Herbert because I do think that the Chargers have such an impressive roster that had they had a great quarterback in place, they would challenge the Chiefs and be a legitimate playoff team. And maybe Tyrod is that guy. I don't think he's a great quarterback. But you look offensive line better with what they did, adding Trey Turner, adding Brian Bulaga. We know about the skill players. The defense got a lot better with the additions of Chris Harris and what they did in the draft, getting Derwin James back healthy and that pass rush. So they're going to hang around a little bit. And if that's the case, I think Anthony Lynn will stick with Tyrod. They'll let Herbert sort of sit and sort of bide his time. But if Tua I think is ready to go, we know there's no long-term investment from Ryan Fitzpatrick. They got what they got out of him last year. He may have cost them Joe Burrow, uh, just based on how he performed They got them some wins. So I could see Tua actually playing before Herbert, but I think they're kind of tied together. The Drew Locke scenario is a very good one. Wait until the end of the season to see if both guys can actually get some starts in before their second year.
1: Yep, certainly feels like that.
3: All lot right,
2: of Jamie. A Love-Love going on here, man. Ah, <laughs>
1: forget it. Two years. Well, maybe after that report yesterday, Maybe it's sooner than later. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. We've taken enough of Jamie's time. Uh, Follow Jamie on Twitter, at Jamie Eisenberg, of course, CBS Sports, Sports CBSSports.com. He and the great crew over at CBS covering fantasy football like no other. Jamie, thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it.
3: You got it. Thanks, guys. Take care.
1: All right. That's Jamie Eisenberg. Craig Bish and Joe Ranieri here on Fantasy Sports today. We are... Still underway here on the show. Plenty more to get to as we continue on after this quick timeout. FST right here with Joe and Craig on sports screen. Don't go away, we'll be right back.
0: Dailyrodo.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice.